Welcome back to part two of this episode dedicated to scope one, two, and three emissions. Here, we are continuing the conversation with Louis Liu and Nicole Dirksidey about the complexities and best practices around scope three emissions. Can you speak to sort of the complication around measuring and reducing, maybe specifically around scope three, but even the other scopes, getting the accounting right on this? You had on the challenge of understanding how to measure it uh, is one of the bigger uh, steps we need to take because you can't really set goals, set target, uh, and reduction strategy without measuring it. And the reason it's complicated to measure is because, unlike the utility bills where you can gather the data for your scope one and two, scope three, you need to look into your value chain to try and find the primary data, then secondary data that you can gather from your suppliers. It may be easier if you only have a few suppliers. Let's say um, you are a manufacturer of building materials that maybe you are making concrete, you're creating cement, you're creating, you know, one simple type of product that doesn't have that many layers of suppliers. It may be easier to gather their emission uh, as understanding what is your indirect emission. However, if you are a generator uh, manufacturer like Cola Power Systems, you have so many different layers and tiers of supply chains uh, that oftentimes the information, first of all, may not be gathered from the first place, and two, it can get lost uh, during the different hands of transition, and it will be difficult to gather not only the quantity of the data needed, but also the quality of the data. Because we need to make informed decision, but if we can't really get to a data that uh, makes sense, it will be uh, very difficult to come to a reasonable uh, calculation, which lead to the, the unknown and uncertainty part of the scope three emission that oftentimes we need to make assumptions from the carbon accounting exercise to do the best we can with the limited information we gather. I'll give you one example, uh, bringing back to the generator case. Uh, the use phase of the generator is actually a very big part of our business downstream scope three emissions. But when we sell a product to the client, we don't really know exactly how many hours they will be running our product. For. And that's difficult to estimate the total greenhouse gas if you don't know how long your product will be used. In that case, we will have to estimate how many hours would they be used based on the national power outage, and on the monthly testing that actually need to happen to try to get into a ballpark on the amount of hours emission associated with using our product. So there are a lot of similar uh, assumptions, estimate need to happen. There are many databases out there that you can reference to help you to get to a sense of a scope three uh, emission. So the, the breadth of it, the depth of it, is making it very difficult uh, to measure. So despite the difficulty measuring it, uh, you know, many companies around the world, they still have to do it, right? Uh, this is where in compliance, it's an obligation. Um, so you mentioned that there's databases and sort of estimates. How are you going about measuring it? Is there a gold standard uh, that's being used today? There's no perfect solution that will help you get to exactly what you need, but there is a kind of gold standard that a lot of businesses are turning towards, as well as some of the regulations are requiring, is from the lens of life cycle assessment to create a very in-depth analysis, drawing a boundary uh, where you can control uh, the source of data coming in, uh, oftentimes from cradles to grave, to looking into the entire life cycle of the product and trying to create a document, uh, something called environmental product declaration or EPDs, 
Those are the documents that summarize uh, the finding, the entire uh, life cycle greenhouse gas emission associated with the product or services. And uh, you can think of it as like a nutrition label on the food product you buy from the grocery store. It's a nice summary of all the different materials that are going into it, the percentage, the weight, and environmental impact beyond just the greenhouse gas. Sometimes it can also include information like how much water going into using it or what are some of the solid waste and toxicity of the material included in producing that type of product. So that's kind of the gold standard that are driving the, the quality of the data. However, the caveat to this methodology is it requires very intensive data gathering. You need really resources dedicated to do this exercise, which a lot of the company may not have the capacity to do so, especially for more complex type of products. However, this is the trend that we are seeing more and more um, business are trying to create environmental product declarations and as well as the regulations are asking for using these type of EPD as a way to verify any of sustainability claim you'll be making. So let's talk about the regulation a little bit more because if not everybody's using the same exact methodology. Uh, it's kind of still in the development phase. And obviously this affects different size businesses differently, sort of the burden of getting this great quality data where we are today. How are businesses being held accountable for this measurement and the reporting on the three different scopes of emissions? That's a great question. So I like to think of approaching scope three as running a marathon that uh, we are collectively at the beginning of the race that we have a common goal trying to get to, right? This common goal is the Paris Agreement, long-term commitment trying to get the temperature well below 2 degrees Celsius and ideally limit the increase to 1.5 degrees Celsius. So in order to meet some of these uh, international agreement, the government uh, across the world, they are trying to understand what can they do to help at least starting from the measuring and disclosing of the emission regarding to the different scope. To answer your question, there are a variety kind of regulations and, and standards out there um, helping business to understand how to do the carbon accounting and what information they need to disclose. Just like running a marathon, you will have a pacer who help you to keep up with the pace. Uh, and there's also time cutoff, right? This penalty, if you don't finish within a certain time, then you will fall out of the race. That's how I would like to think of the player uh, in the scope three uh, field, that their voluntary reporting framework, just like the pacer, they help you set goal to get to some of these targets. We're talking about the greenhouse gas protocol. They're providing the standard and framework help you to measure. But there are other different frameworks, such as CDP, the Carbon Disclosure Project, or SBTI, the Science-Based Target Initiative. It's helping corporate to set a target that align with the higher-level goal that the Paris Agreement is trying to get to, for example halving the total greenhouse gas emission by 2030 and then getting to net zero by 2050. And the other side of the regulation is uh, the mandatory requirements of disclosure. There are a lot of the financial institutions uh, are looking to asking business to report on their environmental social governance uh, impact. And there's more and more standardization on what information need to be disclosed. Specifically, the European Union Commission, they have created the CSRD, which is the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, that is one of the most expensive 
reporting uh, mechanism that company needed compliance, especially a larger company, starting January 2024. They affect all the larger EU companies as well as other foreign uh, companies that are doing business in the Europe as well. So they're asking you to disclose not only just the scope one, two, and three greenhouse gas emission, but also the impact on water, marine resources, circular economy, pollution, and biodiversity. So it's really a broader range of issues that they're asking the business to comply. And internationally, there are some other standards uh, like ISSB, International Sustainability Standard Board, and TCFD, which is the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, that are providing the framework that can be adopted by the government uh, when they are ready to do it. And actually, speaking of TCFD, California just signed two climate bills into the law uh, in October when they are requiring U.S. companies with annual revenue exceeding $1 billion and doing business in California to disclose their scope one and two greenhouse gas emissions starting in 2026, as well as scope three emission starting 2027. And they're also asking the business to comply with the TCFD framework uh, when they are disclosing, where a lot of these framework, these standards we're talking about, are basing on the foundation in conformance with the greenhouse gas protocol, how they set up with the scope one, two, and three. Well, it sounds like, yeah, lots of regulations, lots of things kind of speeding up or happening soon. But I'd like to fast forward a bit now and talk about sort of, you, you said it, it's a marathon. What happens after the marathon is over and people are maybe trying to increase their speed, right? Get a better performance after you're able to measure scope three, how are people going to be able to decarbonize their scope three emissions and what will really move the needle on that? Absolutely. So being able to measure, being able to quantify to as close as you can on the scope three emission is step one. After that, you will need to set goal, set target, and trying to create strategies to decarbonize your scope three and track your performance over time as well. This is why you are seeing a lot of the company, they are setting uh, different net zero or sustainability targets. And let me just clarify quickly, when a lot of company, they are setting their net zero target, oftentimes they are talking about scope one and two emissions, the direct emission of the fuel they burn, as well as the utilities they purchase. That very few company right now have that up very aggressive scope three reduction goal. So this is something that you have to read carefully when you're looking at company making these claims. Now, after setting this target, you need to come up with strategies to decarbonize each scope of your emission. And that uh, started with understanding where are the majority of your emissions coming from. And that differs from company to company. But what we are seeing a lot is the upstream uh, purchase goods and services and capital goods that you get from your suppliers oftentimes play a big portion uh, of your upstream scope. In the downstream use of the product, uh, of course, is going to be an important part as well. But Again, this differ from business to business. So it's understanding which category of your emission are under and finding opportunity to engage your suppliers, to engage your customers and find ways to help them reduce their emission, help them set their target or specifying requirement when you are procuring uh, materials from your suppliers to asking them, providing you the information you need to one, to do your accounting and two, have a benchmark that you can measure and compare 
so that you can make informed decision. How can you reduce your indirect emission? All right. Well, thank you. Now, maybe just one final question before we close to, to both of you. What final words would you like to share with our listeners today who may be grappling uh, with this process of, of scope three uh, and all of its complexity and maybe the accounting around that and the reduction of the emissions? Yeah, Lewis, I'm going to jump in first real quick because you have shared so much with, with us today, just amazing insight and information, which also sounds very overwhelming. It is a lot to take in. And maybe from my perspective, I would say it's most important to get started. And you don't have to have a perfect from day one. You do your best and you continue to grow. You mentioned earlier needing to make some assumptions. And that's okay. Just make sure you're clear on your assumptions. You understand them and they're stated. So as you learn more, you can start to replace those assumptions with facts. But I would really encourage everyone to get started and don't be worried about getting it perfect. It's really about getting it better and better over time. Oh, that's great advice. Thanks, Nicole. All right, Lewis. I will echo on what Nicole just said that uh, it is seems very daunting, but you are not alone uh, in this uh, journey. We are all trying to figure out, all the business out there are trying to figure out how do they measure, how do they set goal and target to decarbonize it. Uh, and there's another important point that Nicole pointed out is you would never get to the 100% perfect data that you need to start taking actions uh, now. You need to, based on the information you have, to make the best decision you can and continue to improve the assumptions over time. And one last thing I would like to add is we really need all hands on deck on this exercise. It's not just for the one or two individuals in your team that has the sustainability title to contribute. Everybody play an important role. And it starts from understanding the life cycle of a product, a services uh, that you provide. And as a leader, please engage your teams to transparently communicate on your goals, your strategies, so that you can empower them and demonstrate how they can play an instrumental role in supporting the sustainability roadmap. Oh, well, thank you so much. So the time is now. It's a team effort. We need everybody uh, all hands on deck on this one. Thank you so much, Lewis and Nicole, for sharing your insights with us. For our listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Color Uncuts. Uh, we've helped demystify a little bit around these three scopes. And we'll see you next time.